Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Have you ever found yourself answering the question, I'll never do blank again? And then, let's be real, you find yourself a minute or moments later or weeks later or days later, finding yourself with your hands open and looking at your hands and saying, I did it again. You say the last time, you say, I'm never doing this again. And then all of a sudden, you come to this point and then you're like, I did it again. We find ourselves asking that years after it happened, and we say, this is the last time this is going to happen, and then all of a sudden it comes, and it comes to a point where we say, I can't believe it happened again. And then we ask ourselves, like, how did things end up this way? How did things get to this point? How did things end up like this? And we look back on our life, and we said, maybe it was that moment. And we look back, and we say, boy, I'm not sure how I got to this point, but I know maybe it was that, that, that decision that was made at that point. And how did I get there? How did I make this New Year's resolution? And then all of a sudden, it's May and June, and all of a sudden, it slowly has slipped out of my fingers, and it's all over. How did I get there? What, where can I get to where I want to be? How can I get to that point of where I'm trying to get to? How can I get to the point of surrender? How can I get to the point of I'm trying to get here, but yet there's this gap between where I want to be and where things are right now? And what I'm about to say is we need a complete heart transplant, a heart transplant. That true spiritual formation involves a transformed heart, a complete heart transplant. And today's message comes to us, and if you've ever asked yourself that question, I'm glad that you're here, because I've asked that question too, and I'm glad that you're here. Today's message comes from the Old Testament and the land is people, God's people in exile, uh, struggling to find their own identity, but yet God had placed judgment upon them, and God had led them out of this, out of, out of their own land and into the um, land of Babylon. And this is, this is about people struggling their, with their faith, a land far from home and a place not their own, and they are struggling with their faith and wondering how and wondering about what, what to do and just really wrestling through some of these things and struggling to their faith. And the people of God, they have been disobedient to God. They haven't lived up to God's name and God's glory. And Ezekiel is this book in the Bible that maybe you have seen before or maybe you have looked at it before and you're like, how in the world do you do? How do you read this, right? How do you look at? How does this even? This doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And this is a guy named Ezekiel that comes on the scene, and he's like, "Boom! It's time. It's time to get these folks back on track. It's time, and it's time to give a. It was time for Ezekiel to give a very stern word to the Israelite people. To time to get back on track and to shake things up a bit, and to say it's time for a heart transplant." It's time for a heart transplant. God's love does not leave us in the condition that he finds us, and actually it transforms us. It transforms our love. And I hope that you have been guided by these couple verses while we've walked through this series, Romans 12, 1 through 2. If you memorize this, I'll have something for you next Sunday. If you can memorize this, it doesn't matter what age you are, I will have something for you next Sunday. We've talked about these two verses as well. Folks, this is so foundational. I'm just going to speak candid. 
Romans 12, 1 through 2 is like foundational for the church right now. As followers of Jesus, as the church, it is so foundational for our church, for, our, for us as a people, for us as just as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's what? Mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper what? Worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this what? World, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And what would it look like? Some of the questions that I just, as I've like really thought about these two verses and we've formed this series about being transformed about the renewing of our minds, right? We know our mind can play very, very dangerous tricks on us. The filtering things through our mind, the things that we see can be very dangerous and can be, um, it can, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, the only way through, Je- the, through Jesus and the only way that he can. So what would it look like for us as a church and for Christians and for us as disciples of Jesus Christ on this west end of Newcastle, what would it look like to have transformed minds in the renewed power of the Holy Spirit? What, what would it look like to have renewed minds fixed on Jesus and his word and his spirit? And what would it look like to have renewed minds not fixed on the world or the culture, but fixed on Jesus? What would it look like to have that? The renewing of our mind. He notices, be transformed the renewing of your mind. And oftentimes our mind can play games on us and tricks on us. And it's here where Paul is saying, by the transformation of your mind, this is exactly how in our world and what we're living in, don't conform to this world, but be transformed the renewing of your mind. And we have an enemy, we have the devil, who wants everything to do with our lives, nothing to do with Christianity, and he wants to twist the truth and wants to twist our minds into believing the lie. And surely he can attack our minds. And so this is part of this Romans 12 passage and the heart behind this series as well. So if you can memorize that, come find me, and then we'll kind of get to that. Um, scripture memorization is so crucial as we like memorize it, and it gets implemented, and it gets written on our hearts and minds. So transformation, this is the very heart of the gospel. When someone comes to know Jesus, being transformed is very crucial as part of the gospel. This is all part of what God does, being transformed, transformation. And we wonder, when we have Jesus Christ live in us, transformation occurs. It's this movement to this. There's movement to when we accept Jesus into our heart, into our life, Christ lives in us. And it's movement to this gospel. And so at the very core of what it means to trust and follow Jesus is transformation. And it's, it's trusting and it's walking in daily obedience to the Spirit of God and daily being formed to the likeness and ongoing process of being transformed. So Ezekiel. Ezekiel is where we are today, page 614 of the Bible in front of you. And I remembered the page number because that's the area code that I grew up. 614. Page 614 of the Bible in front of you is the book of Ezekiel. So you can go there if you would like to. You can open there. It's going to be on the screen here in a second. But let's talk about Ezekiel for a second and why, what, what about this and what about 2022 today. There's a guy named Ezekiel. He's a prophet and he's a priest. He's in the Old Testament. And prophets are people who have been sent and are used by God to speak truth. And God uses them to speak words of, um, in Ezekiel's case, very strong words of, of correction to God's people and oftentimes encouragement in the, mix, in the midst of all of that. Um, and so God's, much of your Old Testament is about the, the nation of Israel, God's people. And this is written 
about six, about five, six hundred years before Jesus comes on the scene. And Ezekiel is a prophet and a priest sent by God, a man on a mission. And he's offering this, this, this word of warning and hope to the Israelites. And so actually we find Ezekiel at the very beginning of Ezekiel. We find him at the age of 13 years old, that God calls him at the age of 13. So never underestimate what God can do in the life of a young person. Church, we should never underestimate and we should champion the life of what God can do and what God can say to the lives of our young people. Amen? Amen. And we find him sitting on the bank of an irrigation canal in an Israelite camp. And this is where this whole kind of story takes place. And so Ezekiel, uh, the people of God have been exiled to the north and it's a place called Babylon. They've been displaced from Jerusalem. Um, the Babylonians have come into Jerusalem, besieged it, have destroyed everything, destroyed the temple. And there's been thousands of Israelites who have been taken back to the north. So they're in a land not their own, a culture not their own, unfamiliar to them. And so they're in this and Ezekiel is saying to them that judgment has come upon up upon the Israelites and God very clearly sends judgment upon the Israelites and upon his own people um, to, to, to get them back on track to, to, because they hadn't lived up to God's name and judgment has come upon them and yet in Ezekiel's case um, God there's hope and God's saying this to Ezekiel in a sense he's saying God there's going to be hope beyond these present circumstances and God's going to bring full redemption out of seemingly endless chaos and despair. In a very difficult period of time for the Israelites, God sends redemption. God sends hope out of unending chaos and despair. And so some of the questions that, like, if you're God's people living in this time, maybe, they're, they're, maybe you can kind of find some parallels with our culture now, with, where we, with the church and kind of the culture where it is now. And it says, like, where is God in all this? Like, has God been defeated by the Babylonian gods? Is God really in control of all this? Is he now defeated? Is, is God, like, left behind? Is God forgotten about his people? Has God just, just left us off all to dust? And is there any future left in Israel now? Is there any future and Ezekiel was called by God and obeyed God in the midst of a shattered and shell-shocked people in a context far removed and, and a context not far removed from many of our contexts today. So I love the Bible because it always speaks to us and directly where we are. So we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. And it's my prayer that you would find a church, if you don't have one, that does the same, that preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully. It's on 614. The Bible in front of you, and it's on the screen behind me. Ezekiel chapter 36. 36 and verse 24, it says this. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new what? Heart and a new what? Spirit in you. And I will remove from you a heart of what? Stone and give you a heart of what? Flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your what? 
God, did you notice, God is not passive in the saving of human beings. Like, all of this is God's doing. Um, Did you notice how many I wills, like, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. How many I wills? God's active in those who respond. He says, I will gather, I will sprinkle, I will cleanse, I will give, I will remove, I will put my spirit in you. And over and over again, it is God doing the business of all of this. Like, God is active in doing the business. Like, what they couldn't do for themselves, God was going to do for them. And Ezekiel's on the scene to bring them back because of their unfaithfulness, their own choices to disobey God as God's covenant people. And yet it's God who has never, ever given up on them. And I just read somewhere this week that an author said that the Bible is the whole, the whole story of the Bible is a, is a story that God declares this. God doesn't give up on you. The whole Bible is a story about God saying to us, God never gives up on you. And Ezekiel was frustrated, well, God was frustrated with their actions, with their idolatry, and Ezekiel is there to call them back toward the very heart of God and to repent. God always gathers those who can't assemble themselves. He says, I will come to you, and I will come get you, and I will come be near you, and I will come get you, and I will gather you. And sometimes, church, there's like this tension, right? When we sort of read this, it's like, okay, well, what's the tension between my choices, my choice, and then God's rule of this divine, like, what God doing, God does this, God brings us, God's power, and then our choices are involved in this, right? God commands obedience, yet we can make some very free choices on how to respond or not. So at the same time, God gives us his spirit, If we trust in Jesus, God gives us his spirit, and that makes the obedience happen. And so I kind of liken it to riding a bicycle. Maybe not a perfect analogy, but I liken this to riding a bicycle, right? When you ride a bicycle, it is best to work and is best to obey, and then best to work and step with the spirit. You cannot go on, you cannot move forward on a bicycle unless you have both motions at the same time. You can't move forward, you can't stand up straight. So it is best to obey, and it's best to lean into what God is doing in your life, and it's best to keep in cooperation with the Spirit necessary for our spiritual lives. And Ezekiel is saying to the Israelites that they are God's special people, they're set apart, and yet God had placed judgment upon them because of their wickedness toward God and idolatry. There were some very hard consequences for their actions, and yet it's Ezekiel that's saying that they were the people who had a very hard heart and a very inflexible heart, and although they were God's people, they were chosen by God and whatnot, they still had a very, very hard heart. And anyone in that place this morning, we don't need to raise our hands for that, but anyone have a very difficult heart, a hard heart? Anyone in that place? Ezekiel is saying this long before Jesus. He's saying this long before Jesus comes on the scene as the Messiah and as before Jesus plunges to earth and long before the resurrection. Anyone in that place? Maybe your heart's grown a little bit cold. Maybe it's turned cold, heart of stone. Maybe sin, maybe it's accumulated a little bit and maybe you need cleansed. Or perhaps this kind of feeling like you're walking around, like this sort of feeling like you're in a skeletal body that just needs some life infused into it. You feel like you're kind of going through the motions a little bit. Like life's kind of feeling like, what am I doing and where am I at and what's God in the midst of this doing? And God says, I will do all of this walking. I will do all of this. I will do it. And where it seems as though God doesn't want anything to do with us, God says that he wants us in his presence. 
That God wants us in his presence and he wants and desires a new heart and a brand new spirit within us. So Ezekiel, along with the other prophets, they say that this plan that God has to restore, that God wants to restore the human heart, you have to do two things. It has to, we must provide a, a, provide a radical change of heart and behavior amongst God's people. This is kind of all the prophets in the Old Testament. And it must restore God's no, own name in the earth. You see, part of what it means to even be a Christian or even be a part of the people of God means that we reflect God and we reflect the glory of God to those around us. And part of it means that, being God, that God's name being revered in the earth comes through God's people living in accordance to God's standards. Check out verse 22. It says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It's not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. And they were to revere and to hold God's name. And I just wonder sometimes how much our witness is dampened or lessened as the people of God when we do not revere God's name. And I wonder, we sit on this side of the cross. This is long before Jesus comes on the scene, but we sit on this side of the cross. And obviously, like, this is kind of a foreshadowing of what Jesus will do and what God's going to do by his spirit. And we're on the other side of the cross itself here. But this is all a sovereign work of God's grace. I will put my spirit in you. I will do this. I will put my decrees. I will remove from you a heart of, of, of stone and put in a heart of flesh as well. And so maybe you've heard this saying before. The, problem, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. You ever heard that saying? The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And so we have, Israelites have been struggling with God. They have been disobedient toward God. They have shown a persistent and willful and downward drift towards and sinking below and wickedness. And we found and mixing with these other nations and God chose these people as the Israelites to be a people, to be a people who reflect God's name and to be a blessing to the nations around us as well. And so their problem was the source of their behavior, the attitudes and mentality that characterized them. And so the heart and the spirit describe the human person. The heart and the human and the spirit all describe the, the human person, our emotions, our wills, what we do, how we think, and our whole inner world. And their whole inner world needed to be transformed, completely transformed. Their whole heart needed to have a heart transplant. And he and much more radical surgery is needed even now. God proposes a heart transplant. He'll remove the heart of stone. And the Israelites had had a heart of stone, a heart, a cold heart, unresponses and dead to God's words, commands, or appeals. And he will replace in it a heart of flesh, a flesh that's living and soft and close and intimate relationship with God and is soft to the things of God as well. And do you desire that? Do you desire that for your life? a transformed heart, a warm toward the things of God and the purposes for your life. Maybe you're kind of walking around with a sort of like deadness in your spirit and desperate for God to move and only what God's going to be able to do. And that this passage in Ezekiel is all about God and what God is doing. God's spirit, God's heart, God's this. And are you desperate for a move of God in your heart? Are you desperate for a move of God in your heart? And I just, this week, just kept going back and back and back to this passage. Like it's just kept going back, and it's, I think it's just a passage for all of us. And here's the thing with this. God desires a heart transformation, but it only comes through Jesus. 
a heart transplant, and maybe you've never fully trusted Jesus with your life to be your salvation, and you desire this for your life. You're like, yes, I want this heart for my life. Saying no to the world's labels and standards and saying yes to God and God's heart for the world. Titus chapter 3 reminds us of this, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his what? Mercy, and he washed away our sins, giving us a new work and new life through the Holy, new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And he generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of what? His grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. And more often than not, church, we need to be reminded of how powerfully God is at work and the sheer vigor of what the gospel can bring. He can and he will do it. He can, and he will do it. And at a very low point in Israelite history, their temple destroyed, displaced people, far from home, exhausted, discouraged, impoverished, outmanned, outnumbered, everything going haywire, God sends a message to the exiles in Babylon. You may think things are going haywire. You may not know the plan to which I've called you, but I'm just more powerful than that. And you got to trust me. Rebirth is available, a new spirit available, a new day for human souls if they feel lifeless and tired and confused and frustrated. And that's exactly who Ezekiel is speaking to. 37 is this, moving on to chapter 37, Ezekiel continues this theme. And God continues to speak through Ezekiel to the Israelites. And this time gives us more, a little bit more of the how and to the why. And this is a little bit, this is a vision of what Ezekiel sees and what they're going through in chapter 37. Now, it may be strange to you, but it's a vision of what God gives to Ezekiel to the Israelites. And it says this in chapter 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit into the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Interesting question. I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy, speak to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Notice the means by which he's going to speak to these dead things is through God's word. Makes things alive again. God's word. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and I will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and I was prophesying. There was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked and tendons covered and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe for these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and stood up on their feet, a very vast army. And he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel they say, our bones are too dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up out of them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. That I am the Lord. And when I open your graves, I'll bring you back up from them. 
I will put my spirit in you and you will live and you will settle in your own land and then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Here's a guy in the middle of a valley, middle of this valley of all these dry bones, dry bones, and Ezekiel's like, where there seems complete deadness and hopelessness, God sees life. Where there seems, un, there seems no hope, there seems this vision of all these dry bones of things that are completely dead, God sees life. And Ezekiel obeys God, hears God, and then acts on it. I mean, can you imagine being a fly on the wall in this situation? I mean, a guy doing this. I mean, notice the power by which these dead things are made new. It is the word of the Lord. Did you notice that? The word of the Lord is what the power to make these dead things come alive. And it's my prayer every single week. When I'm writing these or I'm looking at these sermons or when God's word is proclaimed, that my prayer is that the Lord would withhold anything that's not of God, that it would be God's word that is very clearly proclaimed and that that, that would be the means by which people are changed, by literally dead bones come to life through this word. Where we may see hopelessness and despair, God sees potential. And God sees life. Can I say it again, church? Where, where we may see deadness or so much unpotential, God sees potential. Where we see deadness and despair, God sees life. And where it may seem as though loss or frustration and despair or sin run rampant, God sees life and breath and newness of his spirit. God, one, one, I read this this week. Somebody said that God found Gideon in a hole. He found Joseph in a prison. He found Daniel in a lion's den. He has a habit of showing up in the midst of trouble, not the absence of it. Where the world sees failure, God sees future. Next time you feel unqualified to be used by God, remember this. He tends to recruit people from the pit, not the pedestal. <laughs> I imagine Ezekiel scratching his head here and like, Scratching his head at this, and he's like, you want me to do what? To bones? What did he do? He obeyed and trusted the word of God, and he acted on it, and things became alive. And that's what God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It says this in Genesis 2, 7, that the Holy Spirit gives life, reason to us, and that the Lord formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of what? Life, and the man became a living being. So from the very beginning, God was breathing life into all of creation. God breathing literally new life out of literally nothing, out of the dust, dust of the earth. And Ezekiel's kind of got him beat a little bit. At least Ezekiel had bones to, to, to work with. Um, and it's, at the beginning, it was, it was dust. And so the most significant echo of Ezekiel 37 happens in Jesus' ministry in John 20, 22. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Lord of life himself, on the very evening of his resurrection, with all of his disciples in a locked room, says, receive the Holy Spirit. The, the Lord himself adopts this, this, also adopts this image of Jesus and the breath of God and the posture of God and the breath of God and the spirit of God. And he comes and he breathes it upon his disciples and he does here today. And the church is called Pentecost where the Spirit of God and where the presence of God called the Holy Spirit empowers the church for mission, empowers the church for mission, and it happens in Acts chapter 2. And the Spirit gives us life and empowers us for mission. And God forgive us and forgive me if I have not been awakened to that kingdom reality inside of me. And forgive us. And the power that's available to all of us to raise dead people to life. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Where do we go from here? You're like, what do I do with, what do I do with Ezekiel? Everybody, yes, 
And I had a disclaimer. Everybody, yes, every single person has potential to live victoriously in the power of the Spirit. Every single person has the power to live victoriously in the Spirit. We live on the other side of this, on the resurrection of Jesus, and it's Jesus who calls us to live into the power of the kingdom of God, to live as if God's reign and rule, to live as if God's reign and God's rule lived in our hearts and lives. And we are kingdom of God people. And Jesus calls us the kingdom of God. We'll live powerfully into the resurrection. And God's people are people who live from death to life. And that if God is at work in our midst, and God is at work in our midst, and we join him in that work as well, always at work in our midst. And I'm reminded that the Israel, I'm reminded too that, that it was Ezekiel that, that was the mouthpiece of God. And he wanted the Israelites to repent, which literally means you turn, turn away. And Jesus says the same thing in Mark 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. What was, what's the word? Repent and what? Believe the good news. Repentance and revival go hand in hand. When God's people repent, revival occurs. Transformation happens. Repentance involves a change of behavior, a turn in the other direction. Repentance is needed. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is very near and dear to us. Do we need awaken to that kingdom reality? Do we need awaken to that kingdom reality of who we are and of who God is in us? And Jesus actually gets this question raised in his ministry in Luke 17. He says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst, in our midst, in our church. So what does it look like to relate to the church in 2022? What does it look like to be awakened to the kingdom power available through us? What might a revived church say to the culture around us? A church that transformed culture. A church that lived into the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And there's only one way, right? Only one way. And that's through believing through a resurrected Jesus. There's only one way. Through resurrecting Jesus. John 14, 6 says that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you tasted Jesus? Have you tasted Jesus? There was a divinity school one time that offered this lecture one time and that hosted an annual picnic to which they invited the greatest minds to lecture the Theological Education Center. And one year, the guest lecturer was a professor very well-known professor who spoke for two and a half hours pointing, proving that the resurrection of Jesus was false. And the professor quoted scholar after scholar after scholar and book after book, and he concluded that there was no such thing as the historical resurrection, no such thing, that the religious tradition of the church was groundless, it was emotional hubjub, it was never to be found, there was fault, there was, you couldn't find any facts about it, the resurrection had no, had no hap, did not happen, anything had this happened. It was based on a literal made-up fairy tale. And upon finishing, he asked if there were going to be any questions at the end of it. And after this pause lasting about 30 seconds, an old preacher stood up in the back, the auditorium. And he said, Dr. Professor, I've got one question. And he said, and all, all the eyes of the room toward, turned toward this old preacher. 
And he reached into his sack lunch and he grabbed an apple and he began to eat it. And because he crunched his apple, he started eating this apple. And he said, my question is a simple question. He began eating it between bites. He said, now I've never read all these books that you've ever read before. Took another bite of the apple. And I can't write, recite the scriptures in the original Greek or Hebrew language. And he took another bite. And I don't know nothing about the people that you just talked about or the names of those folks, those really famous people. And he slowly and finally finished the apple and he drew this out. He said, all I want to know is this apple that I just ate, was it bitter or sweet? And the professor paused for a moment and sir, he said, I haven't tasted your apple before. And the preacher dropped the core of his apple into his brown paper bag. And he looked up at the professor and said calmly, neither of you tasted my Jesus. The thousand plus people there in attendance could not contain themselves. (laughs) The auditorium erupted and cheered in applause. And the professor thanked his audience and promptly left the platform. And I could repeat and outline all of the various scientific evidences that there are for the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, there are so many. You can't even, there's so many, so many evidences that the resurrection happened. Far more evidence than the contrary to that. Amen? Um, As I've sensed the, the leading of the Holy Spirit today, Anybody, anybody got some dry bones that need awakened? Or some new life infused? Or some Holy Spirit regeneration that only what God can do, what we're going to ask what God can do? Or anybody feeling like it's time to repent? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And so to be obedient to the Holy Spirit and be the obedient to the Holy Spirit's leading... We are going to offer this front up for this next song. We're going to play a song. And we're going to offer the front. This is, if you've never done this before, it's kind of a, you come forward. And sometimes it can be scary, and sometimes it can be like, man, why are people going to think of me? And you just come and kneel and hear and pray. Some, and sometimes it can be scary or feel like, man, what are people going to think of me? What's happening? But this is a time for you and the Lord, up front, sensing the need of the Holy Spirit. Are you in need of that today? That God, I'm gonna, I will put a new spirit in you. I will put this in your heart. I will put this in your life. Are you in need of an of awaken to the kingdom of God in your life? Or maybe it's repentance. Or maybe it's something in your life that you say, God, I want to leave it here today. I want to leave it here. I want your Holy Spirit to leave it here. So we're going to play. It's about a four-minute song. And um, I invite you here to come up front to say yes to Jesus, to say, God, I give this to you today. God, I want your Holy Spirit. Awaken these dead bones in my life breathe into me, God, O breath of God, breathe into me. And so we'll, you'll be invited up here during this song 
and let's see what the Lord does together in our midst. Let's see what the Lord does. So if you'll join me in prayer, if you'll play that.